it's important that, that people follow their passions because uh, if they follow their passions, they're going to be more innovative and take more initiative and, 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 and convince people to give them the opportunity uh, to do things that they're really interested in and engaged in. This is Lawyer to Lawyer, the award-winning legal podcast with J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambrogi. West Coast meets East Coast, and yes, they are attorneys, bringing you the latest legal news and observations every week with the leading experts in the legal profession. Produced right here on the Legal Talk Network. Welcome to Lawyer to Lawyer on the Legal Talk Network. We're glad you could listen today. I'm Craig Williams from uh, somewhat overcast Southern California. And this is Bob Ambrogi from Massachusetts, where I write a blog called Law Sites and uh, also another blog called Media Law and Legal Blog Watch for Law.com. And I write a blog called May It Please the Court and have a book out called How to Get Sued. Uh, today's show, Bob, is sponsored by Clio. It's a web-based practice management software for lawyers at GoClio.com. Well, Craig... Uh, as we uh, get to the end of 2009, it's clear it's going to be a year that's going to be remembered within the legal community for for the economy, if nothing else. Uh, there have been enormous layoffs, uh, pay cuts, loss of jobs uh, among the largest firms and even uh, trickling down to some of the smaller firms. So the question uh, is... Uh, what does the legal job market look like for people going into and getting out of law school today? Today on Lawyer to Lawyer, we're going to discuss what law students need to learn while they're in school, the present legal job market, and what the future holds for these students when they get out of law school. Helping us do that today are two guests. Uh, first is a returning guest, William D. Henderson, a professor of law and Harry T. Ice faculty fellow at Indiana University Moorer School of Law. Uh, Bill Henderson teaches various business law courses. His scholarship focuses on empirical analysis of the legal profession and legal education. In addition to his teaching responsibilities, Bill Henderson is a research associate with the Law School Survey of Student Engagement and director of the Law Firms Working Group, a joint initiative of the Indiana Law and American Bar Foundation. He's a regular contributor to the Empirical Legal Studies blog and to the Legal Profession blog. Welcome to Lawyer to Lawyer, Professor Bill Henderson. Uh, thanks, Craig. Thanks, Bob. And Bob, our next guest is Dr. Sylvia Hodges. She specializes in international legal marketing. She conducts seminars and workshops for partners, associates, and staff, and conducts research projects in the legal services sector. She is a full-time faculty member at Emerson College in Boston. She also guest lectures at Harvard Law School. will be teaching a course at Fordham Law this spring semester called Law Firm as a Business which will cover business concepts, strategy, law firm economics, organization, ownership, client relations, and managing people. Welcome to Lawyer to Lawyer, Sylvia Hodges. Thank you, Greg and Paul. Well, let's take a look back first at the uh, last year at the legal market. Some people have seen the stock market turn around. What happened in, in the legal market? Sylvia, let's start with you. Well, I guess, um, you know, the, um, let's say in the post-Lehman era, we have seen um, a lot of um, uh, really bad developments in the in the um, econ- economy in general, and we see that reflected in the in the legal market. And I think that the the shakeup that it, we see in the legal market it will it will continue. I don't think that we will have a quick recovery like lots of people are hoping. Bill, what's your perspective on this? Well, I, I think that if you if you think about a typical law firm, it's a remarkably uh, simple business model. It's about uh, higher revenues and costs, and uh, in, 
several decades uh, in a period where revenues are flat or declining. And so to hang on to profitability, firms have had to do something that they've almost seldom had to think about, which is control costs. And costs are typically divided into labor, lease, technology, and miscellaneous. And so the donuts are gone. Uh, then the travel is gone. Uh, then, you know, support people for technology and uh, is gone. You can't do too much about the lease, but, you know, there was a huge reduction of force for support staff, and so it's what's sometimes referred to as non-timekeepers. And I think we've entered an era where you're going to have less support staff because they're not timekeepers, and it's a good and it's a good way to to trim uh, labor costs. Finally, it reached the point of actually laying off um, employee lawyers, uh, staff attorneys, and associates, and in some cases, uh, uh, partners were uh, were let go, and there were pay cuts. And so we really haven't seen anything uh, like this in a long time. And my own research suggests that it's it's um, disproportionately centered in in New York and to some extent Chicago. These are sectors uh, the uh, the firms that have headquarters in those uh, two cities have had higher levels of uh, of uh, layoffs compared to their other you know, NLJ 250, you know, National Law Journal 250 uh, firms, suggesting it's a kind of a finance insurance uh, type. Uh, uh, you know, driven by a downturn, especially in those two sectors, finance and insurance. There's the blog, uh, Law Shucks has been tracking these layoff numbers over the last year. And I, I, I'm not sure if this is their latest numbers, but last time I looked, there had been, uh, by their count, something uh, in the neighborhood of 5,000 lawyers laid off and 8,000 support staff uh, just in the last year from, from major law firms. Uh, what's What's the message for law students for for people getting out of law school, Bill? What are you What are you telling your students? The <laughs> well, uh, the uh, I said that we're in the midst of a of a real uh, sea change. Now, if you go back to 1991, there were lawyer layoffs then, and there were cutbacks in summer programs then. And I remember uh, through some of my research, some people in the bar, judges, outraged that uh, that that firms were taking had the temerity to to to, to lay people off. This seems to be, uh, I think it's, some people would like to believe it's just like a cyclical downturn like 1991, but I actually think that this is structural because I think that we've reached the point now where demand for or cost insensitivity, demand for corporate legal services is going to start to flatten out, and general counsel have lots of choices to allocate their legal spend, and um, and uh, they're using that market power to pit firms against one another and hold costs. and. And I think that this ability for for the corporate law sector to absorb law school graduates is uh, is, is is drying up, and so I worry. I, I, I guess I guess I'm I'm delaying an answer to your question because I don't have an answer that I think is going to provide much consolation. We don't know the class of 2009 got deferred. Uh, we don't know what's going to happen to the class of 2010 that was working in the summer law firm jobs this. Uh, summer and the class of 2011. I mean, they had half the level of normal OCI activity. So we had a natural order by which you know uh, you know law firms absorbed a substantial portion of our graduates every year and gave them fairly good remunerative jobs. And and that is drying up even at the very top end of the law school hierarchy. So we're really in uncharted waters. I wish I could. I wish. I, and I don't have. And I don't have uh, con, uh, news that's discreet and uh, actionable for students that's going to make these problems go away. 
Well, I think that, you know, more than ever, the, the legal profession is uh, really, rather than being driven by the, the practice itself as it used to be, I think it's uh, very clear that it's driven by the clients. It's driven by, um, you know, the, the, the market is very over-lawyered, and uh, many, there are many uh, people in the industry that say that more and more uh, technology is taking over things that lawyers used to um, take care of themselves. And when I did my, my PhD research um uh, last year, it was very clear that when I spoke with um, CEOs of companies, they um, even even the ones that uh, might not even have um, in-house legal departments because of their their size, et cetera, and so forth, they said that we don't necessarily work with lawyers. We do lots of the things with the help of knowledge management systems. We do um, things ourselves. So, I mean, this whole notion of lawyers being the trusted advisors, um, you know, that are so essential to business, I see that really, um, you know, less uh, less true than, than ever. I don't know what your experience is, but, um, when I, for example, when I ask, you know, the, the decision makers, you know, who do you turn to uh, when you're, uh, you know, when you have a problem with your company? And it was basically none of them. Um, said that they would first turn to their lawyers, and I think this is really a problem. And they said uh, basically that the lawyers uh, are not commercial enough to understand the wider business context of their upcoming issues. And this is where I see, um, you know, opportunity for the for the new uh, classes to come in to basically say, okay, we have a different toolbox um, that you know compared to to classes before. And um, so I think that's I, I don't know if it's, this is the panacea, but I think this is something. That they should really think about, you know, to be identified as, you know, he he or she is not just a lawyer, but you know, has a commercial head on his or her shoulders. I think this is really something that they need to understand. Sylvia, um, what about the graduating students when they move into law firms? What can they expect for those that are able to get jobs? Are they going to get lower salaries, uh, less benefits? What's going to happen to them? Well, I mean, some of the firms, I think, they already started to go back to more. Uh, like let's say the the apprenticeship system, um, where um, you know they they get a lower salary, but uh, because of the lower salary, they they have less um, pressure to to um, bill hours, which you know gives them more of a, a chance to actually learn and, and shadow uh, people. At, um, um, so rather than you know just being basically doing um, uh, due diligence work, et cetera, and so forth, that that can be built to the client. And I think this is really, a, it, it is, as, as Bill said, you know, we really need to kind of rethink the way how we educate the, um, the lawyers. And I, I think, you know, because uh, until right now, um, it, it's very common for law students to basically graduate into the, into the real world without any exposure to economics or, or how for-profit businesses are run. And, uh, you know, let's face it, you know, the, the growth and the size of the profession, the size of the firms, the volume of the market, they all have led to basically lawyers having to treat the practice of law as a business. And, I mean, when you look at the AmLaw 200 firms, they are multi-hundred million dollars, some even billion dollars um, per year um, enterprises. So it's kind of crazy, in my opinion, to really say, you know, um, yeah, our lawyers say don't really, they need to learn the law. They don't need to learn about business. Like, well, what context are you practicing the law in? And um, so I think that, yes, of course, they need to learn to think like a lawyer. But, I mean, in, in today's highly competitive world, it's it's imperative to bring more to the table, really understanding the business world, understanding that 
you know, um, how does that legal problem that they are uh, solving fit into the broader, a broader context of, of the, the clients? And I mean, when you look at the ACC with a, with a value cha- um, challenge and another, um, you know, aspects right now, it's really the, the world has changed and the, the clients are really in the, in the driver's seats. And um, so I think that, you know, no matter what they do, they need to have an understanding, a fundamental understanding of what a business is, how, how it works, and what, what, you know, what business means and whether this is because they work in, in the B2B um, area with corporate clients or even when you look at, you know, the, the, the majority of lawyers, they're actually working in really small law firms. We always talk about M-Law, M-Law, two, um, M-Law 100 or M-Law 200 firms, but the majority of the lawyers actually work in those small law firms. And you know what they are in the end, they are small businesses. So, you know, even the people that say, oh, I'm a, I want to be a divorce um, attorney. Well, you know, once you put your shingle out there, you are a small business owner. So I think it is really imperative to Give them a chance to. I'm not necessarily saying they need to do the JD MBA because I know. I mean, law school is already expensive, and then to add another year for most people, that's kind of prohibitive. Um, but I think we need to have some some um, foundation on, on what it is. You know, uh, how a business is led, and or if they are in a in a larger structure, figuring out what the partners clients really want from them and then what they can do for them. I think that is really the essence of that. Well, it raises the question, uh, Bill, I wonder, are, are law schools doing enough uh, in the way that they prepare students for post-graduation life? Uh, should they be putting more emphasis on these skills, uh, on, the, on the sort of the practical skills, the business skills um, than, than they're doing? Uh, well, I think the answer is no, we're not doing uh, we're not doing uh, enough, but this is a really long-standing, uh, you know, uh, problem. If you go back and you read critiques of legal education going back uh, 60 years, they'll say, well, you know, law schools don't do a good job preparing people to practice law. I mean, you could take the uh, the, the criticisms and republish them today, and they would seem to be contemporary and uh, uh, timely. My my biggest criticism of, of law school curriculum is is that it's all about law. And if you think about how to be a successful uh, lawyer and how people uh, don't succeed in their careers, it's not typically because they lack technical expertise. It's because they lack initiative, they lack people skills, uh, they lack uh, responsiveness, they're not good listeners, uh, they uh, don't read cues very well, they don't listen to what the client's trying to achieve. And I think it is possible, and you know, we're doing some of this at Indiana, we've built our own competency-based uh, model, a preliminary model that we use in our legal professions course in the first year to try and drill down some of these uh, these competencies. But I don't think the solution is to teach people how to do depositions uh, more intensively or to uh, or to uh, uh, um, you know focus on uh, you know um, uh, you know pleadings and things like uh, that. I don't think that that's really going to uh, open up a, a huge number of doors for our law students. I think the initiative and the listening and these uh, practical business skills would be are, are really the, the future of law schools. What are you hearing from law firms? What is it that they're seeking from law schools? I mean, as a lawyer myself, I think one of the things I'd like to see is better writing skills coming out of law school. What are your thoughts about that, Sylvia? Yeah, I think that that it's uh, that is something that I've, uh, I keep hearing. But as I said, I mean, I'm I'm a proponent of of um, teaching them, as as Bill said, you know, this uh, proactivity. In a way, I think that you know, when people go through a certain training, it might be law school or, or another um, professional school, 
The thing is that um, we for, we form their their brains basically, and I think that you know one of the things that that you need to teach them in law school is that you know the reason for their existence are the clients. Clients are the lifeblood of, of, of the firms. Without them, the firms will have no revenues, no profits, and then, um, you know, the, the partners won't be able to bring any money back. And so, I mean, the really only boss that they have is the client. And, um, as I think it was Sam Walton who said, you know, a client can fire um, everyone if uh, he or she goes to the competition instead to us. And I think this is something that um, we'll need to understand. And uh, when, when I... Um, but, you know, many times when I speak with, with professionals, they are they always like, oh, I don't need marketing because, you know, I'm such a good lawyer. And it's like, come on. Um, you know, what is really marketing? It's like, you know, you need to have a very clear positioning in the market. I mean, like, there's this, this Harvard Business School case study about Wachtel, and they basically saying they don't do marketing. So, hello, you know, you position yourself very clearly. You take, you're very clear about what kind of matters you take. You're very clear about what kind of people you want to have, et cetera, and so forth. That is strategic marketing. And so, you know, it's not just about learning how to put better flyers or, you know, better, um, you know, TV um, commercials on there. It's like, no, you really need to have a strategy. You know, what is it that, um, you know, that you want to reach and how do you want to be different and why should somebody come to you? And I think any law firm that doesn't have or any lawyer that doesn't have an answer to these questions will be in trouble. And I think that, you know, when you look at the law school students coming out of, of law school, you know, they're like a... I want to say most of them are like a commodity. You know, they're they're totally interchangeable. And I think what people need to understand is they need to think about you know how can they really be different in the in the market to their clients. What is it that makes them stand out? And I think that this is a thought that has not been introduced into law school as much um, as it should be, in my opinion. I was recently uh, in the audience uh, at a future legal industry panel that, Bill, you were uh, a panelist on, and, and one of the topics that that panel uh, did not agree on was, was uh, you know, what, what the demand will be for legal services uh, in the next year, the next decade even. Uh, but one thing they did seem to agree on was that uh, to the extent uh, uh, there will be demand, it will be for perhaps a higher level uh, of legal services for, for what some might call the bespoke legal services. Uh, I'm not sure if you agree with that or not, but but if so, how does a, how does a law student, how does a law school graduate uh, get that experience at a time when, when the large law firms uh, are laying off and, and not hiring as much? Uh, what should they be doing out of law school to... Uh, to uh, build up their experience and make themselves more uh, hireable, I guess. Well, I think that I still believe that that it's important that that people follow their passions because uh, if they follow their passions, they're going to be more innovative and take more initiative and 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 convince people to give them the opportunity uh, to do things that they're really interested in and engaged in because it, it really is about getting those rare opportunities. Why you versus the. Uh, versus uh, someone else. Well, if you show passion and enthusiasm initiative, it tends to uh, be, uh, be infectious. Now, regarding the, 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 uh, what you call the bespoke legal services, I think on that panel, the, the, the basic uh, theme was is that, that, that there's a certain level of legal services that are, can't be commoditized, that are bespoke, and they tend to be transnational or multi-jurisdictional and deal with very complicated problems. Uh, with uh, with with various different state governments and regulatory 
uh, authorities. Uh, I think that if you if you step back and you look and see how many law firms are positioned to, to serve on that global uh, uh, platform, it's still a relatively crowded platform, and the work is very uh, 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 lucrative. So lots of people are positioned. I I I I just I, I wonder if it can continue to grow at the pace that it that, that it's grown in the in in the uh, in the past. And so I would be I would be I, I would want to steer the students that I would be counseling. Uh, to think more about uh, serving the broad middle market of helping uh, uh, um, helping uh, corporate clientele or businesses, but that's the vast majority of, of, uh, of supports the vast majority of lawyers and legal services. How, how to help them solve their business uh, uh, problems locally in a more practical way, uh, leveraging technology and uh, um, uh, uh, combining various different uh, disciplines. I think that that's. That 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 ultimately uh, is going to be a, a faster growth area than what they call the bespoke uh, legal services, because clients are looking for ways to trim their legal costs, and they, and, and and they're trying to take these price insensitive areas, and 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 uh, push them more toward something that's standardized. And I think that's where the market wants to go. And lawyers have been reluctant to go in that direction, but that's where the market wants to go. Well, Bill and Sylvia, we need to take a short break. When we return, we'll talk about what the future holds for law students when they get out of law school. Imagine how much easier managing your practice would be if your practice management software was web-based. Your practice would be available anywhere you have an internet connection, completely secure, backed up continuously, and most importantly, easy to use allowing you to spend your valuable time building your practice instead of managing technology. Start simplifying your practice today with Clio. Sign up for a free, fully functional 30-day trial at www.goclio.com. Use promotional code L2L for a 25% discount. Don't miss out on the latest in new media marketing opportunities for your firm. Contact Deb Kern at 781-551-9960 and learn all about the Web 2.0 revolution. Welcome back to Lawyer to Lawyer on the Legal Talk Network. We are back with uh, law professor William D. Henderson and uh, Dr. Sylvia Hodges talking about uh, the economy and what it means for graduating law students. Uh, And I guess what I'm wondering is on a a very practical level, we've been talking about this at at kind of a high level, but on a very practical level, uh, if you're a graduating law student, what, what are the practice options? And I'm wondering... You know, it used to be a lot of a lot of law students got out of law school and went into their own practice or went into a small firm. Uh, are, are small firms or solo practice the way to go these days? Uh, Sylvia, you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I wanted to add something on uh, to what uh, Bill mentioned before. Sure, I totally agree with that. I think that you know the um, the issue is that that lawyers typically think of themselves as uh, let's say they're the brain surgeons of legal work. And um, I mean, you you mentioned before the bespoke services. I think that there will always be a need for these you know bespoke services. For, um, but at the same time, as Bill said. You know that there uh, there are the let's say the bread and butter work that n- normally um, lawyers don't necessarily think so much about. You know, at least as not as an aspirational goal, um, but that's the majority of the work. And then you know, last but not least, the whole. Um, 
and say the um, uh, whether it's debt collection or other you know uh, legal services that that can be very much streamlined. And I think that um, the there's so much room for innovative solutions. And in all these different levels, you know, money can be made. It's just that different um, business models need to be used, different leverage, et cetera, and so forth. And you know, technology uh, plays a factor in how these legal services are provided. So I think that is definitely something that the incoming class needs to think about. You know, I mean, when you think about any other industry, you know, there's a room for really high-class um, restaurants that have Michelin stars, and there, you know, there are the fast food chains. And I think that we really need to be more creative and saying, you know, we can't, we don't just um, have like the law, the, the big law firms, and we have the the attorney that that hangs out his, his shingle. Um, I think that you know they really need to be different, as I said, business solutions. And I think that's really crucial. And then another thing that I want to say, it's not just the large law firms that, that um, offer these uh, bespoke services, as you call them. I mean, there are um, some, you know, as you're well aware of, I'm sure, you know, many boutique firms are actually um, hiring right now. Um, they're, they might be working in in, uh, in very particular litigation matters, et cetera, and so forth. But, I mean, they're still hiring, and they might be doing very, um, um, you know, very advanced uh, services, uh, legal um, consulting work. So I think that, you know, that's definitely another thing that the um, incoming class needs to look at, not just say, okay, so who's the um, AMLAW 100 and, you know, who can I work for? I think, you know, we just the message is, you know, be innovative and uh, and think about other solutions, not just, you know, what has been done in the in the past and let's continue that. Speaking of being innovative, Bill, what would you say or recommend to law students in terms of paying back their student loans and if they get a deferral, um, what type of backup plan should they have in place? <laughs> the, uh, uh, it reminds me of the book by Harvey McKay that says, uh, uh, don't wait until you're thirsty to dig your well or something to that. Uh, a fact. Uh, uh, it, it's actually a, a little late in the game to to be it, to be uh, uh, coming up with solutions to manage uh, uh, the debt load. I think that uh, that's that's kind of out of my uh, league and the ability to to to, to uh, how students should should uh, manage it. Besides being the, the simple things regarding being uh, uh, frugal. Now, in terms of t- developing uh, opportunities uh, for themselves. Solo and small firm specter, specifically hanging your own shingle, seems to be the job of the of the last resort. And I know a little bit about that, uh, having taught a course on law firms as businesses and and, and uh, joined the uh, solo and small firm section of the Indiana State Bar and done a lot of work with those uh, folks. And I have to tell you that that's the most entrepreneurial group of people, the most technologically savvy group of people uh, that I've ever uh, been around. And it's about customer service and it's about uh, networking. And it's about listening to what your clients' problems are and figuring out practical ways to do it. I still think that uh, that there's a way uh, for a customer service oriented person uh, to make a pretty good uh, a living. And I think that uh, a lot of young lawyers uh, tend to um, uh, not not think about that option primarily because law school, frankly, doesn't kind of conditions you to think about uh, uh, you know your first legal career as a job rather than starting a business or running a business. We we we. We probably don't do our service, do our students a disservice by not exposing them to, I think, a really interesting, exciting uh, uh, career, which is running your own uh, uh, firm. And, and there is a way to to uh, to uh, 
uh, you know, hang your own shingle or combine with a group of lawyers, develop an expertise in a niche and make a pretty good living, but it requires sacrifice and planning. Well, and you can't minimize the fact that uh, law firms are, you know, large law firms are offering uh, salaries at $180,000 or something like that. It does just out of law school as, as a were, deterrent yeah. to going into a small firm or a solo practice. But, uh, you know, one other area, I mean, I, for, personally speaking for myself, I actually went to law school many years ago uh, with the idea of not practicing law, but of, of going into journalism and advancing my career in journalism. And, uh, you know, what about alternative careers? I mean, what, I, I, you know, do you, do you see, a, a law school training as uh, as good training for uh, doing something else in life besides practicing law. And do you and do you advise uh, law students to consider that? Bill, I'll ask you that. It, it's difficult to to advise people on alternative careers because by definition they're alternative and they take all sorts of different uh, forms. But I can tell you this is that uh, in Indiana we study our alumni and there's a there's an other category which is pretty broad. About thirty three percent of our graduates don't can't be classified as uh, as um, as firm lawyers or government lawyers and they and they t- tend to do the most interesting things uh they they run various different uh businesses they become executives uh uh, uh they they pursue also they 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 run nonprofits there's all sorts of different uh and they're not technically uh lawyers or you know have active law licenses anymore and they tend to be very happy and they tend to do very well financially over time. And I think that you take any any uh, passionate, enthusiastic entrepreneurial person and you give them a law degree and it gives them a different perspective and allows them to seize on opportunities. So uh, 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 it's hard to generalize on alternative careers, except I can point to many examples, including the uh, uh, Mickey Maurer, who's the who's the the, the, the person our law school is named after, who started his career as a solo and small firm practice, and got into the cable television uh, business, and uh, you know was extraordinarily successful, and got into politics, and then ultimately owns a media conglomerate uh, today, and that's a great example of an alternative career, and he attributes it to his uh, uh, legal skills that he learned at IU Bloomington School of Law. Well, we've reached the end of the program where it's time to get your final thoughts and wrap up with your contact information. So, Sylvia, let's turn to you and uh, get you to wrap up and give us your contact information, please. Well, as I said, I mean, I, I think it's very important for the for the students to really think, you know, out of the, let's say, the legal box and then um, educate themselves in, in business and management. I mean, all these things, um, I think, are very important. And, and as Bill said, you know, the client point of view, I think this is more crucial than ever. And um, so I can only um, advise everybody, as Bill said, to follow their passion and, and really, you know, think about how can they um, combine the, the passion with um, their, their legal um, their legal training. And I think and in the end, that will be the, uh, the way out of this, um, let's say, situation at present. Um, if um, people are interested in my course at, at Fordham, City, they can go on the uh, Fordham website or they can email me at hodges at sylvia.com. Great. Thank you very much. And Bill, your final thoughts on your contact information, please. Yeah, I, uh, well, listening to the conversation today, I, I worry a bit that uh, we've pushed too much of the burden on the, uh, on the young people graduating from law school. I do think a, a substantial responsibility falls with the law schools. Uh, we're, we're trying to rise to this uh, challenge at IU Bloomington with uh, some innovations in our legal professions uh, curriculum, focusing more on uh, on what they call non-cognitive uh, uh, abilities like teamwork, taking initiative, active uh, listening, 
uh, client engagement, interpersonal skills, emotional intelligence, uh, et cetera. So I really think that, that, uh, that, that the law schools have to step up here and change and adapt to a changing marketplace. But for the students, I, I, I second Sylvia's uh, uh, thoughts regarding taking initiative, following your passion, being open-minded, and networking within the legal profession, outside the legal profession, and develop a good reputation uh, for honesty and integrity. Great. And how can oh, our and listeners I can be reach you? Indiana University School of Law, uh, Bloomington. Uh, my email address is w-i-h-e-n-d-e-r at indiana.edu. Great. Well, thank you very much for being on the show today. And, Bob, that just about wraps it up for this week's Lawyer to Lawyer. For our listeners, remember you can check out all of our Lawyer to Lawyer shows at LegalTalkNetwork.com. Well, and I like the fact that our, our uh, guests uh, offered, uh, I think, hope for, for law students who have some initiative and, and uh, entrepreneurial spirit about them. Uh, so uh, that's a good note to end the year on. And, uh, Craig, uh, Happy New Year to you, and thanks to our guests for being on the program today. Well, Happy New Year to you, too, Bob. We'll be back again next week for another great legal topic. When you want legal, think lawyer to lawyer. Thanks for listening to Lawyer to Lawyer with J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambrogi. Every week, a new legal topic that you won't want to miss. We hope you'll listen again and check out our other shows on the Legal Talk Network. The Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast, your resource for the tips and tactical advice you need to grow your business. Plus, keep up with the news and commentary you crave to stay one step ahead. It's hosted by me, Guy Sakalakis. And me, Conrad Som. Every other week, we break down the issues holding back your marketing strategy and talk about the changes you need to be prepared for. Check out the Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube.